back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and we have a change of pace today. Uh, I guess you've heard my guest today, Jason Sandberg, uh, once or twice where I've put him as the introduction to the episode because he was kind enough to record a, uh, a, a bumper for us when we hit our, I don't know, was it our 500th episode or whatever? Actually- Actually, if I was looking in my notes, it was episode 300 and episode 400. You uh, you tagged on my little audio file. Okay, well, so you, so you managed to have been on uh, what I believe I think you, one of them would be what is my favorite episode that we've recorded on this show, which was the Looney Tunes episode. <laughs> yep. So uh, I don't remember if that was 400 or 500. Honestly, I think that was that was 400 definitely. That's 500. Right. We did a we did three 500th issues. Anyway, Jason has been a uh, friend of the show for quite a while. Jason has been a very generous friend personally because <laughs> he sent me a lot of uh, DVDs and hardcover books. And I, I, I can't uh, say how much I appreciate that kind of generosity. Uh, well, the, and, the way I look at it is if you love if you love uh, culture, if you love comics, if you got something that that doesn't doesn't you know doesn't um you know uh charm you or you don't love uh find it a new home so you know whether it be um half price books or send it to a to a friend i always believe in if if it's not a if it's not going to stay on your bookshelf find it a good home so i like to send stuff to you j david weeder and michael bailey well it, it is always appreciated not that i'm asking for anything more <laughs> from you i i think you've gone above and beyond to this point but thank you so much for what good you have sent uh so uh the reason Jason, well, you know, let's, let's, we're going to back up. We'll talk about the reason why Jason's here in a couple of minutes, but first, uh, why don't we just get a little bit of your background with comics and with the show? Sure. Yeah. So my, my grandmother, um, I, I don't remember exactly what my first comic book was. I'm sure I came across them, but my most vivid memory of my first comic was my, my grandmother would take me to the pharmacy on Saturday nights and we would grab the Sunday paper which I always thought was kind of a cool magic trick. So this was back in the 70s. And for whatever reason, whether it was the early Sunday version, the other, the early Sunday edition or what have you, but it was kind of a magic trick that we go to the the, the pharmacy and there'd be the, the next day's paper just sitting there. And one of those times she let me get a comic and I got Captain America 214, which is what we'll be covering tonight. And that's kind of the point at which... Um, uh, and I'm sure I'd seen um, Batman on TV and so forth, and maybe I'd seen a comic here or there, but that's where it jumped out at me and where the the magic of what you can do two-dimensionally on a page and make something pop out and be vivid. And really, that that began my lifelong uh, love of comics. And I stayed, you know, stayed a collector and uh, got into the indies, got, you know, stayed with Marvel throughout the 80s and so forth. And then um, it was about 2009, 2010. Um, I, you know, the, the news was so depressing, you know, and so I didn't want to listen to the radio. So I started looking around for um, podcasts, and I found um, um, from crisis to crisis, and then I found the back, to, back, you know, back to the bins. And um, and I'm looking through my notes, and the first time I ever um, uh, ding the show was like in, in 2010, and I, I sent in a um, commentary or question or what have you to. And I think Scott was Scott was still hosting at that time, and then then um, from uh, you know 2013 and on, 
pretty pretty um, frequent email hacks sending in uh, comments to you guys. And then uh, I think as a as a as a member of the audience, I think I peaked in 2015. So in 2015 is when I sent you guys the fake uh, Wakandan Prince uh, email asking you to. <laughs> asking you it was in 2015 it was the email it was from a latvarian banker asking you to uh to help a wakanda prince get his uh vibranium mine shares out of wakanda uh it, it was formatted obviously like the nigerian prince email and and i think that was probably the the most creative i ever got as a listener and i i i vaguely remember that and i don't think we knew that was you <laughs> I think we, we kind of laughed about it, but I don't remember actually saying, oh, that's from Jason. So that's uh, you kept that secret for uh, eight years. <laughs> Very good. Cats out of the bag. Cats out of yeah. the bag. So when you first started listening to the show, it would have been Scott and Mike, I guess. Yeah. Uh, when I, and and when, I was also a frequent emailer at that time. Yeah. And I think I, I think I recall hearing your name and you first you first guessed it. Was it in, around, around episode 90 or episode 100? When did you first 86. come on? 86. Very good. Very good. Yeah. When I picked up the show, um, I think you, um, I went I went back. I, I listened to the sample of the show. I dug it. And then I went back to the very beginning and it was Scott and some 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 uh, t- teenager 20 something who who went AWOL. And then he brought on Michael Bailey and and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then obviously uh, you came on and you really shepherded the show. You, you've you been the show Sherpa. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that at, when you hit the point where you're like, oh, man, I've I've given enough of my free time to this. thing, I'm, I'm done. I hope you find a good custodian to pass it along to, because there's a, a great, uh, great through line, a great tradition. I'm back to the bins. And um, uh, what I what I would do is um, you guys when I when I wasn't uh, when I kind of got caught up in the episodes, your show turned into my Saturday morning um, breakfast show. So I put on the headphones. I make breakfast for my family, omelets, pancakes, and I listen to you guys. And it always set, it's always set a good tone for the weekend or if I'd be doing a uh, raking and so forth. So um, it's it's an it's important show to me. And I love the fact that it comes out once a week. The personalities are so good. And in my in my mind's eye, I imagine us all like going to the shop and like, hey, Bill, what's your list? And hey, Paul, what's your list? And we're all digging through the, the bins and finding good, good things and completing each other's list and so forth. So just a good atmosphere of camaraderie and uh, just a great show. Well, thank you. I, and it, it sounds to me, at least for you, uh, I can't you know, I don't know about the rest of you, but at least for you, it's serving exactly the purpose. I hope it would that, you know, you you. You, you know it, where it, where it feels like sitting talking comics with friends. Uh, to me, I always said the best podcasts are the ones that you you know if you're listening to it in the car, you start like answering questions, or you know if we're sitting there saying what was this, you start saying well it was this. Don't you remember? And then, exactly. you know, even though they can't hear you on the other end, you, you you feel the need to communicate with us, and that's always my hope. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Captain America 214 mm-hmm. later. I'm going to say I, I'm a little surprised that that was an entry level drug for you. Uh, <laughs> and we'll talk again. We'll talk about it more in detail. But uh, I remember, you know, I started collecting a few years earlier. I think my first issue of Captain America was 173 mm-hmm. around there. Uh, you know, with that the Secret Society, uh, Secret Empire, Secret Empire thing mm-hmm. with Richard Nixon and all of that. Uh, and I, I latched onto Captain America really quickly. He became one of my favorite characters. And then, you know, around, I guess it was 180, 193 was yep. when, uh, when Kirby came back. Yep. The King returned. 
And I remember thinking, oh, my God, the guy who created the characters coming back, this is going to be the best. And and I started reading those those Kirby Captain Americas. And sadly, I was reading them and thinking, eh, this isn't my cup of tea. It's a little too <laughs> out there for me. And and just to kind of take that full circle, I now love the Kirby stuff that he did you know when he was at dc and when he was yep. you know with with marvel when he came back you know after after he stopped working with stan it isn't the same as the stuff he did with stan it doesn't right. have the same narrative flow to it it's definitely you know what we like to call in the show batshit crazy <laughs> yeah but but it, it, it's got a charm to it that that i i didn't you know appreciate when it was first coming out and i've since put you know a lot of those uh those Kirby DC books, which I didn't have on my want list. And I've been slowly filling in a lot of those, including uh commandy, which oh, yeah. just, that brings us again to a full circle because you sent me, I think two or three, uh, they're behind DC archives, DC archives, hardcover versions of commandy. Yep. So, and I'm, I'm down, you know, I would have thought, I actually would have thought it would have been tougher to, to get that series than it's been. Uh, I'm, I think I'm down to needing eight issues to complete the run, and I have a solid run from issue one to issue, I'm going to say 40 now. Yeah. Yep. So most of the stuff that I still need, I'm pro- I should be able to find in dollar bins. So that that's been a you know that that's been a a fairly easy collection to, to amass. But uh, again, it's just that that Kirby charm for me. I love it. Awesome, awesome. So now you. In addition to just being a comic book fan and friend of the show, are a creator in your own right. Yeah, yeah. And why don't we talk about how that got started, what your background is, and the uh, project that you're working on? Sure. So, you know, beginning with um, with uh, Captain America 214 in the in the mid late 70s, there, I became an uh, an avid uh, artist drawer, right? And I would get in trouble at school because. I'd finish the test early and I'd start drawing on the margins and the, the teacher would call me up there and tell me, you know, tell me to knock it off and so forth. And then, you know, my brother and I would do, you know, um, pencil, pencil comics, eight, you know, eight and a half by 11 folded. We'd be doing comics all the time. And um, that love, uh, that love of the comic book medium um, stayed with me. I got into indies. Um, Nexus number two in 1983. That was the first time I signed indie comic book or first time I bought an indie comic book. And, you know, Mike Barron and Steve Rude, they blew me away. You know, the the writing was the writing, the paper, the coloring, the art, everything was like better than the better than the mainstream. So I, I gained I began a, a love of the indie comics and followed as many indie titles as I could. And then, um, you know, study painting and so forth. So um, that brought me to like the late 90s. And um, I actually got a Zurich grant um, from from uh, from the the, uh, the turtle guy. Um, and uh, I, I self-published this uh, black and white indie called Jupiter. And it ran uh, ran nine issues, and Diamond was Diamond was great, um, and but unfortunately it was the situation where I was in my it was in my late twenties, so I, I I had Jupiter had you know critical acclaim but no marketing budget right there was it was just so like the the sales just kind of plateaued, and I, I was like looking around and I, I did a gut check and I'm like you know what. Um, I don't have the money to advertise this properly, so I'm just going to pause it, right? And, you know, Diamond's like, hey, you can re- you can reboot. You can do a new number one. You can start a new series. I'm like, you know what? I got to I got to up my game. I got to I got to I got to get married. I got to get a house, all kind of stuff. So um, I continue to stay in touch with comic books, love comic books. But then, you know, fast forward 
to about uh, 2018, 2019, as I'm looking around, I, I see that the dynamics in the market have changed where, you know, Diamond is in charge of the, the direct market, but crowdfunding uh, presents a dynamic where um, crowdfunding is more direct than the direct market because with the direct market, you've got the retailers, you've got the brick and mortar stores, and they're basically ordering on behalf of the customer. A customers can put in a poll list, but by and large, um, the 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 uh, the retailers are ordering the books, and you know they're a business, and they've got to uh, they've got to cover their overhead, their rent, their taxes, their payroll, and so forth. So the comic book industry, as it as it developed, became a little bit conservative to the extent that it was expensive to experiment. Um, so if you're a uh, if you're a retailer and there's this 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 wild title coming out, you know you may be going to order one or two copies, or you're just going to shy away and wait to see what the word on the street is. Um, however, as a consumer, a crowd crowdfunding. You could spare ten dollars, right? You could spare five dollars, and and you know it's a hit or miss. It's uh, so comic books through the crowdfunding. It's more like the movie where you you and your buddies would go to the movie theater and say, "Have you heard of this movie? I don't know. The trailer looks okay." And you're gonna shell out five ten bucks. No harm done if it's a dud. But then if you find a gem, you found a gem. Versus the uh, the retailers, you know, they they just have to based upon the nature of the brick and mortar um, overhead, they just have to be extremely careful. So crowdfunding is a way now for um, artists and and so forth and and combo creators to get in front of an audience and kind of test drive a concept, test drive a title, and then you know after you do the print run and you fulfill the crowdfunding, you've got extra copies you can go to Diamond and say, hey, Diamond, hey, do you want to carry this? So um, that that's what uh, re-sparked my engagement. So uh, over the course of a about um, about a year and a half, I developed the world, I developed the characters, the character designs, the sets, and I've gone through and I've basically written in thumbnail 20 issues of Jupiter so that I've got a good ending in mind. I'm not going to do a Jar Jar Abrams where I start big and then I don't know what to, how to end the story, that type of thing, like Lost or like the Star Wars um, sequels and so forth. So I've got a good vision. I've got a good story, but it's loose enough where um, as Jupiter um, progresses, as people are like, ah, this character is a fan favorite. I love this character. I can you know, increase their role in the story and so forth. But by and large, I've got a good I've got a good uh, 20 issue run of Jupiter that I'm, I'm building out with good arcs, good satisfying cliffhangers and so forth, good character development. So right now, um, the first issue is um, going to go live on Indiegogo on March 30th. So I think this is going to hit people's podcasts um, in early April. And um, I would encourage them to go check out my um, the, go to Indiegogo and look for, you know, just for, search for Jupiter. You'll see it there at Jupiter issue one on Indiegogo. The campaign is going to run 30 to 60 days. It's only going to be uh, $9.99. And um, so it's pretty affordable um, experiment to dip your toe into this into this new world. And then um, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Jason underscore Sandberg. And, I, you know, I typically will retweet other uh, crowdfunders. I'll share great Silver Age artwork that comes across my, my Twitter feed, share that out and so forth. Um, and then Jupiter itself is kind of the start of a new universe. It's going to be I'm going to organically build out um, a kind of a superhero universe. And it begins in, in a, a normal world where all the superheroes are just comic book characters. So the comic, the characters in, Ju in Jupiter you know, read comic books. And the premise is that it's, you know, it's a normal world like ours. 
but it follows um, this family who who have engaged, who have encountered a, a a family crisis, a family tragedy. Um, I don't say exactly what it is, but if you read Jupiter one carefully, you'll you'll get a shock. You'll figure out what the family what what the family tragedy was. But they're on a they're, they're on a trip to a cabin, family cabin, to get away, to kind of reboot their lives, get away from the the day to day, and just kind of hit you know hit control, alt delete in their life, and try to move past this tragedy. Well, in the um, in the course of of that that uh, vacation, um, a, a revolution in a neighboring dimension spills into into their reality. And as a consequence of that, um, they they have to deal with this, um, you know, their world being turned upside down by this these other dimensional um, beings and 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 the consequences of that revolution. And as a side effect, the main character, uh, she's a young young girl, teenager. Um, she suddenly has the ability to escape anywhere. So she was living in this life where she felt trapped, suffocated, and unhappy. Suddenly she's posed with the ability, I can go anywhere. I can go to these worlds that no one's ever dreamed of. I can escape. I can no longer do homework. I, I could skip doing homework again, right? Um, but at the same time, she's got a um, um, balance between fight or flight. So as the family kind of deals with this, the consequences of this revolution, and suddenly, you know, they're they're encountering magical and and and, and sword and sorcery type things. Um, uh, they have to um, um, uh, begin begin to um, um, protect themselves, and so the abilities that this young girl um, inherits, she suddenly has to decide how do I use this on self defense. And then she will slowly, incrementally become basically a superhero. And then and then from that, um, the consequences of everything, the superhero universe will build out. So Jupiter um, is, you know, the, the in the heart of it, there's some great silver age, but it's modern storytelling, modern art. Uh, I put a lot of craftsmanship into the art and I hope everybody enjoys it. But if you love if you if you're listening to Back to the Bins because you yearn for some of the glory of the silver age and the bronze age, you're going to find what you're looking for in Jupiter. So now you you said that it's a you know you have a, a solid idea for twenty issues, and my first curiosity there is, does the story end? Well, well, actually, let me ask this a different way: Does the chapter of the story end at twenty issues, or does the story end at twenty issues? In other words, <laughs> so, if it if it ends up very very popular, you know, which we'd all hope for, uh, would there then be a you know a, a second? Uh, go round for things, maybe another 20 issues. Yeah, the, the that that big 20 issue run has uh, several good arcs in it. It's a roller coaster ride, and the stakes the stakes the stakes keep rising. However, um, at the end of those 20 issues, um, it basically um, sets a new plateau where it become there's a new status quo, and and um, you know as long as people enjoy what I'm what I'm providing to them. It can continue on until I until I, I retire or until <laughs> until I, I pass this mortal coil. But yeah, it, I, I plan to I plan to continue doing Jupiter uh, as long as people want to show up and participate in in the journey with me. And how is this going to be different from what you've already done with Jupiter? So the Jupiter in the 90s, um, it was black and white, and it was kind of a, an anthology comic, right, where I, I do a main story, one main story that would change every issue, and I do little backup stories and gag strips. The new Jupiter is um, all, it's full color, 40 pages, 
And the main story that covers the adventures, um, this family and 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 the uh, the revolution in the other dimension, that's 24 pages. And then there's 16 pages of short stories, one pagers and gag strips, just to kind of keep the novelty, kind of provide some palette cleansers. So uh, it's a full color, 40 pages versus black and white, uh, 20, 24 pages back in the 90s. And also, I will say that um, you know, uh, my artwork has gotten much better since 1999. Well, I, I am one of the people who's going to get to actually compare because in one <laughs> of the care packages you sent me, you you sent me uh, an earlier issue of Jupiter. Hey, that's uh, that's going for a lot on eBay now. So hold on to that one. So uh, <laughs> many, many of those black and white. And I don't know if it's because of the because of word about the Indiegogo campaign, but a lot of those black and white Jupiters are now going for like 10 bucks and number one's going for a lot more. So um, hold on to that guy. Yeah, I wasn't planning on getting rid of it. I, <laughs> and I, I uh, as I've talked about on the show many, many times, I have uh, eliminated a lot of my collection that is post-1990. I don't have a lot in, in, my, in my comic book closet slash room uh, that is newer than 1990. But uh, mm-hmm. my, my issue of Jupiter is one of them. Awesome. So awesome. and that's that's not going anywhere. And I, I, I'm looking at the Indiegogo page now. And when this airs, I will uh, put a link to it on the uh, Facebook page for Back to the Bins. Appreciate uh, it. And, you know, just going down on it, uh, down the page, that is, uh, the cover looks very dynamic to me. Cool. Uh, I, I really like the coloring. I, I like the just the way it looks overall. Uh, very, very different from the 1990s Jupiter cover. <laughs> uh, and then there's three pages that are shown on the page. Uh, it looks to me like the first two are part of the story, whereas the third one looks to be one of the one of your gag pages. Uh, and and I'm just looking at them and and I'm I, you know for what it's worth I'm liking what I'm seeing. I, I like the yeah. artwork. It it does kind of have it has kind of a 1980s feel to me. Okay. You know, we talked about the silver and bronze age. It has like a 1980s feel to me. Almost when, when we, uh, when we started to veer a little bit off of house styles, and and you know, ch- kind of change off of that a little bit without going too far, to the point where like I found some things where it went too far to be bothersome to me. This does <laughs> not have that. This awesome. this this looks like you know from what I can see it it's it's nice and clean it's it's very uh, readable it looks to me at least and then the third page which is a gag page almost looks like a uh, an underground comic oh yeah uh, so so basically I'm I'm one of those people where you know Jack Kirby John Bushima Sal Bushima John Byrne they're in my DNA but so is Robert Crumb Zap Comics and Mobius so I'm I'm this I'm one of those hybrids where um, I can I can fire on all those different cylinders. And, um, my, and artistically, my sweet spot is, you know, the 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 storytelling and the and the kind of the dignity and the dignity and the beauty of um, John and Sal Bushima and the energy of Jack Kirby. Um, I think that's where, that's my sweet spot. And and like yourself, when it got into the post 1990s comics, I kind of I, you know, I ran more hot and cold on on the uh, on the image guys. Um, I was I was more about um, um, Sal Bushima, John Bushima and uh, and Jack Kirby. And I also see on the middle page of the three that are kind of sampled on here that we have a little Kirby crackle going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got to have the Kirby crackle. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to be on board. I'm going to order the issue. Thank you. Uh, so and hopefully some other people will be interested enough to do so. 
but again, you know, it's, you know, we'll, we'll put a couple of, uh, or I'm going to ask you to put a couple of uh, art samples on the Facebook page uh, when, when the time comes that this episode is out, which absolutely uh, I guess will be what probably April 8th, I think is uh, that's the Saturday. If that's the okay. Saturday, then that's the day it's going to be up. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. And then the other thing that people that are listening, um, you know, this is a this is an audio medium. Um, I did um, as part of supporting Jupiter. Um, I finally had the excuse to learn how to do animation. Right. I mean, I grew up watching um, watching uh, um, Thundar the Barbarian and G.I. Joe and stuff like that. And like like a lot of you, I'm like, oh, man, it'd be so cool to do animation. But as life progressed, I'm like, I don't have time to learn how to do this. This is too complicated, et cetera. But because I was um, going to start marketing Jupiter. I finally said, you know what, Jason, you've got time to learn how to do animation because you've got to do promo clips. So I taught myself Adobe Animate using the artwork from the comic book. And so if you go to my YouTube page, you go to my Twitter page, um, actually on the Indiegogo page, there's going to be an animation clip. But I, I think my animation, too, it was just as much fun as making Jupiter. So I think you I hope you all go take a look at the animation clips. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's I'm using my own artwork to to animate. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I always come back to a conversation I had with a, a creator at New York Comic Con, and uh, it was somebody who who was, I don't, I can, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody who was fairly prominent at the time, mm-hmm. and we were just talking about how there's so few creators, you know, there's so few creators who really, you know, do really well financially, uh, and if you if you talk to most of them, if you talk to all of them. There's really nobody who got into this saying, you know what, I'm going to be a comic book artist because I'm going to be rich. <laughs> uh, you know, clearly, clearly it's a passion project when you do this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know you. I know you have a family. I know you have a job that isn't doing this. So just to find the time to do it and to, to learn new things, I think it shows you the passion that you have for this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you, as soon as, you know, the kids are in bed and my wife's conked out on the couch, I'm like, all right, time to do my comic books. And I and I, <laughs> I, I run to it with with uh, with great amount of passion and, and creativity and fun. And I think I hope that kind of um, uh, exudes from the work when you look at it, that this is someone who's doing something because they absolutely love to do it. And I also want to share this with people. And, and I think a lot of the things that that I'm missing in current comic books and things that I'm finding in the back bins. I think a lot of your listeners are going to identify that and they're going to find it in Jupiter. Cool. Very cool. So something to, to definitely look forward to. And, you know, I, like I said, I hope uh, I hope at least people will go to the Indiegogo page, sample it and see. And if it's something that that tickles their fancy, that they, they go with it. Uh, you know, again, I'm going to I'm planning to. And yeah. uh, so and, you know, Paul, if they don't three or four years from now, they'll find it in the back issue bins. Or three, four years from now, they'll find it slabbed and on the wall for a couple of hundred hours. <laughs> yeah, I wish. That, I, I hope. Let's see. <laughs> that, that'd be. That'd be. Is that be? Would that be Schadenfreude? What would that be? <laughs> no, that's just the opposite of Schadenfreude. Okay. That's uh, that's wish, wishing success. Is okay. Schadenfreude is is to uh, revel in the failures of others. Okay. All right. So I guess if if you don't back Jupiter, you're gonna be Schadenfreude, and if you if you back Jupiter, you'll be like, all right, man, I've got my kids' college paid for. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way to do it. There you so, go. Uh, before we shift over to talking about Captain America, was there anything else you wanted to to discuss with this? 
I know. I think that pretty much covers the basis. I think we think we did a good job of talking about my my relationship with the show and uh, how important I think the show is, and then obviously what I've been up to in, of course, Jupiter. So I think we're I think we're ready to look at some comics. So no, we're looking at comic. I am reversing the field here. Usually, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's bookless Bill today. It's bookless Paul. I I, I put the the. The the sinking or swimming of today's episode totally in your hands, Jason. All right. All so right. you, you picked the book and I have it in front of me and, and you're going to do the synopsis and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Very good. Very good. So um, as I mentioned, um, this I, you know, I came across the comic book because um, I bought it at the drugstore. It's probably, it's probably the first comic I ever can remember buying. Right. So um, so just to give you um, uh, first, I look at the cover here. So it's Captain America 214. And again, you know, 30 cents. So you can you can you can thank the Federal Reserve that uh, comic books cost more than 30 cents now. But it was issue 214 of Captain America and the Falcon. And on the cover, top half is is white. So the logo really pops out. The the black, the the uh, red, white and blue of the logo and Captain the Falcon just pop out of there because the background's white. And in the middle of the uh, cover, you got Captain America and the way he's standing you can tell something's amiss. Uh, you don't know until you read the comic book, but he's actually temporarily blind. So he's kind of staring straight ahead. And then there's this guy um, who's uh, got a great Kirby design. He's called the Night Flyer. He's going, your partner can't help you, blind man. Now that I've got the power, no one can. And you can see in the background that Falcon is kind of like locked up in some sort of um, chamber. And he can't help Cap, and Cap's fighting this guy with a flamethrower. So pretty, pretty cool cover. And again... It's got that Kirby foreshortening where the hands coming right out at you. Big, th- big, thick, bold lines. Great, great design. Just, uh, I think it's just a beautiful cover. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, you know, sometimes in the later Kirby, sometimes the lines got a little too bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where I would have preferred a, a, a more deft, light-handed touch a little bit. But I, I do like this cover. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bill points out how I'm, I'm not a big fan of the plain white backgrounds usually. But in this instance, the plain white kind of presents itself as being the ceiling of the room that they're in. Yep. Uh, so it, it's kind of blending into the picture. And it's, like you said, the the colors, especially of the, the, the words Captain America, really are popping. Uh and and since it's part of the picture, it's not disturbing. It doesn't have that feel of, oh, well, they didn't want to do any background, so they just put white, uh, which is when I do get kind of annoyed. <laughs> yeah. It's a good design element to have the, the ceiling be white and have it make the logo pop. And it's not over overloaded with, uh, you know, with text either. You know, you do have the one word balloon that you mentioned, and it says Assault of the Night Flyer, uh, and that's it. So, you know. Well, definitely well laid out. And and you can see in hindsight, if you know that he's supposed to be blind in it, you can kind of see the way the way Kirby drew him, that he's kind of looking. He's looking, but he's not seeing anything in front of yep. him, uh, which is not something, you know, if you first look at it, you just kind of think, oh, you know, it's kind of an odd expression on his face. But then when you know what's going on, it, it's it speaks for how well it's drawn. Yep. Um, so when you flip open the page, um, I loved 1970s um, Marvel. They have these little banners at the top where if it was your first comic book, they kind of give you a history of the character. Real quick synopsis. I'm not going to read it, but I think that's something that's missing from a lot of modern comics because um, it just, you know, it, it treats you as if, it's, if it, as if it's your first time reading the comic and it doesn't take up much screen, you know, much real estate on the page. But that's up there. Then it's the credits. 
So the credits, Jack Kirby as writer, artist, editor, Mike Royer on inks and letters, Sam Cato on colors, and Archie Goodwin. And basically, he's, Archie Goodwin, Goodwin is minding the store because Jack's the editor, but I, sh- I assume that Archie Goodwin's coordinating with the uh, publishing schedule and, and, and doing that stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think Kirby was pretty much, uh, you know, s- self-policing uh, at, at, you know, at DC and when he returned to Marvel. Uh, you know, they they just kind of gave him gave him the assignment and let him run with it. Yeah, and Kirby would have been on the on the West Coast, and then Marvel offices are on the East Coast. So I'm sure Archie Goodwin was just checking for FedEx packages and stuff like that. Oh, and I had uh, Jack Kirby's address back then. Really? And I sent him a couple of things that he autographed for me, including uh, issue 194, which, you know, if you open the front page, uh-huh. he, he wrote, you know, to Paul, best wishes, Jack Kirby, awesome. just just underneath the, uh, you know, the, the all, you know, the information about the book at the bottom of the, the splash page. Sweet. The indicia. Yeah. Um, I've got a I've got an autographed copy of the Hunger Dogs graphic novel by Jack Kirby. So I've got that locked up as my prize possession. So it's nice. good to hear you've got a signature as well. Um, before I go into the synopsis, I'm just going to help out the people that um, they haven't read this with just kind of a, re- a recap here. So the story so far and this so I'm cover- talking about what happened in the issues prior. The story so far, you know, following a battle with the Red Skull and Arnim Zola that left him blinded, Cap is recuperating at a S.H.I.E.L.D. hospital. The Falcon is on site, intent on protecting Cap while, while S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, is, seeks to restore his eyesight. The bed next to Cap was occupied by a mysterious bandaged patient known only as the Defector. The Defector is the target of the Corporation, which sent the assassin known as the Night Flyer. As this issue opens, the Night Flyer has in, invaded Cap's hospital room and shot the Defector, only to realize that S.H.I.E.L.D. planted a dummy decoy in the Defector's bed. A blind Captain America, the Falcon, and a squad of, C- of S.H.I.E.L.D. soldiers have surrounded the Night Flyer. So that's what happened right before this issue starts, okay? All right, so page one. The Night Flyer raises his arms above his head, um, talking smack about how he's winding up um, something called the power and uh, cap and falcon and the shield agents are closing in on, on the night flyer then pages two and three we've got an awesome two-page splash page um, these were a hallmark of the 1970s kirby books you know the new gods commandy demon eternals black panther and cap they almost always had a two to three page uh, two pages two and three as this big widescreen um, splash page and Kirby would use that to, to set, to, you know, establish a setting, establish a world or, or just enjoy the landscape. Sometimes they'd be an action, an action scene where someone's like smashing through a wall or punching somebody. But by and large, he'd use those two page splashes because he usually divided the page into a six grid panel. And in those six grid panels, six, six grid panels, he would focus on action and close ups of expressions and dialogue. So. So he would use splash pages to do the the world the the, uh, the the world the stage setting and to create a sense of atmosphere and so forth and then he had really tight um, grids for the action and the content of the story. Um, so then on that two and on page two and three you've got the um, night flyer he's extended out his arms and it's cre- is sending out this sizzling concussion concussive energy blast and everyone's flying back. And, you know, note, you know, the, the magic of comics is that as this is happening in an instant, you've got these these kind of like um, full paragraphs of, of guys saying, I can't breathe. My chest feels like it's being flattened by a sledgehammer. So they're all kind of like talking as they're flying through the air, um, crashing into the walls and stuff. So just part of the corniness of comics. But but you love it. You just kind of go with the flow. Um, 
Page four, um, Cap and Falcon and S.H.I.E.L.D. are all knocked down and the Night Flyer is gloating. Uh, Cap's super soldier serum, serum appears to be enable him to recover faster, and he grabs the Night Flyer's leg and warns him that he can't beat the whole S.H.I.E.L.D. complex. Page five, the Night Flyer picks up a gun and shoots at Cap, grazing his bandaged forehead. In wonderful comic book logic, Night Flyer compliments Cap's on, Cap on his reflexes, but says, I don't have time to shoot you in the head again. I'm on a mission and every second counts, so I got to go find the, the, the defector. So great comic book logic there. Night Flyer walks down the hall, shooting at an oncoming shield agent. Page six, is, page six and seven. Um, shield security sees the Night Flyer on closed circuit TV and activate the general alarm. Aru, aru. Back in the hospital room, Falcon and the other shield agents are picking themselves up. Having heard the shot, Falcon checks on Cap. The bullet singed Cap's forehead with powder burns. Falcon observes that the Night Flyer is robotic and cold, a villain who's almost all about the business versus trying to take over the world. Falcon tells Cap to wait for wait for medics to arrive and leads the Shield Squad, the, the squad of Shield agents, down the hall in pursuit of the Night Flyer. So this is another Kirby story where Falcon Falcon has a special role, right? He's not a, he doesn't have the Super Soldier Serum. He's just um uh, you know he's just a strong athlete and he's got a heroic heart. And the Shield agents kind of follow his lead. He's like a natural leader. I think that's an important part of of uh, the, the the dynamic that that Kirby established for the Falcon, he's not a sidekick. He's more like a partner, and and he compensates where you know, he compensates for things that Steve can't do, and vice versa. So I, I I think I really came to love the Falcon based upon this Kirby series. Pages eight and nine, the Falcon flies ahead and overtakes the Night Flyer just after he's used the power on another set of Shield agents who are laying on the floor. The Falcon swoops down and grabs the Night Flyer's arm so he can't do the yoga pose that generates the power. He tosses him around and works him over. Back in the hospital room, Cap decides that he can't just wait there while Falcon and S.H.I.E.L.D. are, are fighting the Night Flyer. He needs to help. Page 10, Cap turns from his ho- changes from his hospital garb to his red, white, and blue uniform and grabs his S.H.I.E.L.D. and works his way down the hall. Pulling a page from Daredevil, the Daredevil handbook, he hears the footsteps of a shield soldier that aren't running towards the battle. They're sneaking around. Page 11, Cap follows the footsteps and determines that the shield trooper isn't conducting a search for the night flyer. He's opened an access panel and ducked into a conduit maintenance tunnel. Turns out this shield agent is an insider who's assisting the night flyer. This turncoat shield agent arrives at the end of the maintenance tunnel and greets the Night Flyer, who is locking up an unconscious falcon in a steel chamber. It's the same steel chamber that you see on the cover where there's a window that uh, falcon can look out. The mole shield agent informs the Night Flyer that he may be able to predict where shield will move the defector next. Page 12. Cap shield flies into the panel and knocks the shield traitor unconscious before he can say anything further. Cap and the Night Flyer begin to battle. The Night Flyer trolls Cap. He's unimpressed with Cap's fighting skills. Cap replies that the Night Flyer should keep talking trash since he needs to hear the vo- his voice in order to aim his punches. Page 13. The Night Flyer grabs a random flamethrower off the wall. You gotta love that. You got the shield complex with these, these uh, conduit maintenance tunnels and there's flamethrowers on the wall. It's just great, wacky 70s Kirby logic. Cap is saved only by his indestructible shield. The Falcon wakes up in the still chamber and sees through the window in the door that Cap is blind and he's battling the Night Flyer alone. Page 14. 
The Falcon grabs pipes and bangs on the high-tech shield glass. He can't break it. He grabs a crowbar and begins to pry the door open. In the shield control room, the techs have spotted the Night Flyer's orbiting glider craft that you would see in issue 213. Page 15. Besides providing the Night Flyer with a means to escape, the shield experts speculate that maybe the glider could be transmitting that energy that fuels the Night Flyer's yoga pose electroconcussive power. Seems plausible. We should try that. Shield fires three missiles of the, and takes out the glider. Falcon escapes the prison and sees that the Night Flyer is now knocked out on the floor. He's all charred and he's gray. Turns out they are right about that, uh, about the about his glider. Page 16. A squad of S.H.I.E.L.D. troops arrive and explain that the destruction of the glider sent an enormous power surge down and overloaded the Night Flyer. Cap comments that the, the scarred and charred Night Flyer looked more menacing in death than he did in life. Wait, what do you mean looks more menacing? That means he can see. So at that moment, they both realize that Cap's eyesight has been restored. Page 17. Cap speculates that the Night Flyer's earlier shot must have jogged his nerves in, into action. Seems plausible. <laughs> um, echoing J.R.R. Tolkien, the Falcon uses, it shows that the meanest cat is capable of one good deed. <laughs> Shield drags away the traitor for court-martial, and they drag away the charred remains of the uh, Night Flyer. Falcon reassures Cap that the, the, that the defector is still safe. Cap says, you know, knowing Nick Fury, the real defector may not have ever been on site, and, they, and this whole thing was just an op to flush out an assassin. That old Nick Fury. Falcon and Cap walk off stage, planning a party with Lila and Sharon in celebration of Cap's return to eyesight. And then at the bottom, it says a new uh, next, a new direction. And that new direction is the return of Sal Bushima, um, which I didn't know at the time, having having just this being my first issue. Um, but that concludes uh, Captain America 214, which is uh, a great comic book, great, great Kirby, great Kirby comic book and has a, a sentimental place in my heart. And it's like I said, it's it's one that I've become more fond of uh, as I as I've aged uh, because I I do think I that this was you know it's kind of a strange situation because you're younger than I am and yet yep. you were old enough to become entranced by this <laughs> whereas I feel like it wasn't my cup of tea yet uh, I I appreciated Kirby's again Kirby's seventies work much mm -hmm. more in my uh, you know, in my adulthood than I did as a kid. So, uh, but, but you were, but you were more of a Spider-Man guy, right? So you were, you were looking at Ramita and so forth. And so there may have been some sophistication that, you know, some more, some kind of sophistication and polish you were maybe, you know, accustomed to. And that may have been why the Kirby kind of the, the rough, bold edges may have, may have rubbed you the wrong way, perhaps. Well, it was a combination of a few things. You know, Kirby didn't want to use like the classic characters that much. Yeah. Uh, or the classic villains. So he kind of just went his own way and, and created some things that were, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. He did, you know, bring the Red Skull in for a little while in, in this run. Uh, but he really, you know, he, he went with the, the mad bomb to start off and, mm -hmm. and and just kind of, you know, was was off the charts with, you know, again, Kirby kind of stuff. He could have, you know, he was doing Captain America. He was doing Black Panther. Uh, he could have been just as easily transferring those to issues of, you know, uh, Mr. Miracle and, and Commandy. Well, maybe yeah. not Commandy, uh, but, but, you know, 
any other superhero well, character. And, you know, uh, even like in the Eternals, when the Hulk shows up, it's not the real Hulk. It's like a Hulk robot or something like that. So which I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I get a kick out of the fact that that Hulk robot has shown up a couple of times, you know, <laughs> since then. Oh, yeah, that's the one from Eternals. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's no reason why they have to call back to that. But, they, they, you know, I guess there's a fondness for the Kirby work. But, you know, I've, I've always thought that Kirby's work with Stan uh, was superior in its own way because I think, you know, Stan kind of grounded the work, whereas Kirby's imagination, you know, knew no limits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time to, to have that kind of imagination because uh, obviously he came up with some concepts that, that to this day are just, you know, flying high and, and you know, making their way onto the big screen and, and you know, so much stuff that that's great. But on the other hand, you know, uh, Stan would just kind of add the human element to it that Jack seemed to have a tough time with. Yep. Yeah, I can I can see some of that. I can see some of that. I, I would have liked to have seen what these Kirby books would have been like if he had a strong editor as he did them. Uh, you know, who just kind of, again, grounded him a little bit, but let him tell his own stories. Uh, you know, one of one of the things about Kirby is and and this issue doesn't really show it, but uh, a lot of them, his dialogue just seems a little forced. It doesn't feel natural coming out of people. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, yeah. again, I, I've I've grown to love this stuff, and and you know, I've I've been you know reinvigorating reinvigorated on my uh, back issue collecting collecting of late, and I'm finding myself looking for uh, Commandy and New mm-hmm. Gods and Forever People and Mister Miracle uh, and uh, Oh, well, I already have the full run of OMAC, uh, and I'm, you know, closing in on a, a full on a full run of uh, the first series of Demon. Yep, Demon's uh, good stuff. Yep. And and I found myself now searching for the for the you know the Black Panther issues that I didn't have. Uh, I'm missing one issue of Devil Dinosaur that I'm <laughs> kind of searching out. Uh, you know, but I, I mean. I have the full run of Eternals that he did. I, I just recently filled in the last two, which I don't even know why they were missing, but I had two issues missing on my uh, 2001 uh, oh, yeah. run. Yeah, those, so now that that's complete. Yeah, I have, everybody needs to pick those up because I don't know if that stuff will ever be reprinted. So uh, good job picking up, you know, filling in the 2001. Yeah, good yeah job. now I need to find the Treasury edition on that one. But <laughs> yeah. that's that's going to be uh, – that's that's very hit and miss with that stuff. But, again, just just – I've developed a love for the Kirby 70s stuff, not only on its own, but plus with the nostalgia aspect. But, you know, when you combine the two and I also just love to see some of the concepts that he came up with and where they eventually went. And then to go back to the, you know, to the roots, to the origins of these things, Uh, you know, when you when you look at just. Again, even just on his own, don't count the stuff he did with Stan. Right. Just what he created at DC with, you know, with Darkseid and, and the new gods and, and all of that stuff. I mean, it's just phenomenal, uh, the imagination that went into this stuff. In this one, uh, I always kind of thought that, that the uh, Nightflyer had to be like a robot. You know, I, I was thinking like a cyborg or something like that. Like, but I, I think I, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, you know, Falcon's like, hey, this guy's cold and kind of robotic. And and so kind of like the Terminator, right, where it's like I'm on a mission and and uh, nothing's going to stand in my way. And, you know, yeah, I, I can see that. And I, I even get a kick out of it. And again, you know, I'm 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 all about back old issues. 
but I do get a kick out of how some things have kind of resurfaced as time went on. I remember, uh, I, I'm trying to remember whose run it was, but in a run of the Fantastic Four, they, they brought back the golden frogs from, uh, the Black know, from, Panther. from uh, Black Panther. <laughs> and was then, that, uh, yeah, was that Dwayne, was that Dwayne McDuffie? It might have been. Yes, okay. I, I think it might have been. Uh, and they, they also uh, in, in Captain America, they brought back the Mad Bomb and they had stuff with mm-hmm. that, you know, like so. So, you know, these concepts that kind of got shut down, you know, Kirby's run on Captain America here was fairly short because he was just a little too out there to get the audience uh, of young people that they wanted to get. Uh, but eventually it, it found its way and, and clearly it found its way with you, which is just very cool. Uh and, but for me, it's more in the back issue bins, although these issues, these Captain America issues, I bought them all off the stand when they came out. <laughs> you know, Good you, job. No, no question about it. These, uh, these, the Eternals, I, you know, I got all of those off the stand. Uh, even the, you know, again, I'm missing one issue of Devil Dinosaur. I don't know why, but I had bought the, the issues that I, I think it was a five issue run. And I'm missing issue four, I think. But I had issues one, two, three and five I bought off the stand. Uh you know, it's just cool stuff. And, I, you know, I always loved the the dynamic art, even if I wasn't going to appreciate some of the storytelling. I do like what you, you know, you pointed out that was a staple of his stuff with the second and third pages. Oh, being, yeah. You know, a giant splash. But it never had that feel that I get sometimes with some artists nowadays where I feel like there's an element of laziness involved to it. Like, you know, well, if I, if I do a, a you know, a three splash pages in this issue, it'll just be that much faster for me to get it done. Right. And then I can sell the original artwork for a, you know, a nice. That, yeah. That's, paycheck. that's the real angle is they, they want to pin up the sell because they try to sell the original art and say, well, I got half the pages, two guys doing expositional talking. And then the last page is some guy smashed through a wall. It's like, no, I've got to have these, these, these full page um, splashes of guys, you know, the, the heroic pose or whatever, so that I can I can sell it at the con. Yeah. I don't know if I really care for uh, Mike Royer's inking on him. Uh, do, you, do you think it's too too uh, too heavy handed? Yeah, too heavy handed, and I feel like like you you know you really could have just cleaned up a little bit on certain things you know kirby had had uh certain aspects to his art at this point like you know the his, his hands were not good mm-hmm. uh and i feel like a good anchor could just kind of clean that up for him uh you know he he would go very heavy with with the shadowing and i think there could have been a more more of a subtlety to that there could have been some shading to it where it wasn't just pure blacks you know dropped onto the page uh you know, I, I was always a fan of, of Joe Sinnott inking Kirby yeah. in his Fantastic Four days. Yeah. I, I would have liked to have seen what he would have done with these. So I, um, you know, I so I it, it was back back when I started reading, it was there there wasn't much in terms of um, back issues. You know, it was very spotty. Um, but I had I come across this um, after after I, you know, became you know crazy about Kirby and so forth. There was a um, pocketbook paperback. Of that was reprinting the old tales of suspense issues, and I came across that like next, and that was inked by Chick Stone. 
And so when it comes to Captain America and Jack Kirby, I think Chick Stone was my favorite, was my favorite anchor. It just he just did a good job of smoothing things out and making some of the rough edges feel a little more organic, but still maintain that energy. And then um, big picture, you're right. I mean, Joe Sinnott, Joe Sinnott, there was a great synergy between Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. And and, you know, Joe Sinnott went on to ink like Ron Wilson on the thing and Marvel Mm two and one and stuff like that. And and there's just everything that Joe Sinnott touched. He was you, you could tell he's very intelligent where he he maintained the um the the he maintained the the DNA and 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 the and the base art but he always put uh, a a unique um subtle he maintained the power but he still had the grace and the subtlety and he really embellished things in a wonderful way so whether it was whether it was Joe Sennett inking Ron Wilson or, or Al McGrum I just always loved Joe Sennett's inks just a, just a wonderful craftsman I agree and and Kirby. When, you know, when inked by somebody like Sinnott, I'm I'm very, very cool with it. But when he's inked by somebody who's not quite doing the same level of work uh, and you get to compare the penciled page to the inked mm-hmm. page, the penciled stuff is so much more beautiful than the inked work. So it's something, uh, something I do is whenever there's something on like Twitter or Facebook or whatever, like who's the greatest uh, comic book villain? I always put in Vince Coletta. <laughs> uh vince coletta is, you know he's he you know you've heard us talk about him quite a few times oh yeah oh yeah and, and and the thing i always come back to is the guy was a hell of an artist if you see his work when he really put the time into it he he was an excellent artist but the problem was and and i think it's more of a corporate problem than than a personal issue although i do understand he could be a little uh cantankerous <laughs> in his day but I think the company pushed him to to do this stuff, you know, to get the stuff yeah. done quickly. He was yep. he was a company man and he was able to do that. But yep. in order to do that, he had to make certain sacrifices. And those sacrifices often were I'm going to, you know, erase this background uh, and, and just put a, you know, a solid color back there. Uh, and when you see it. You know, when you compare uh, the pages and, and you you could find them on the Internet or you just have to do a search for it. <laughs> yeah. But where, where they compare the inked. Uh, Vince Coletta page to the penciled Kirby page and you see the stuff that he erased it's like oh my god why would you do that yeah it's like it's like do you do you want it right or do you want it now and if you need it right now you give it to Vince to ink um but but I will I will say though there's there's some issues of um Thor and Tales of As in in some of the backup um Tales of Asgard where I think Vince did I don't know if it was maybe he had more time or whatever, but there's some there's some Thor issues that really sing with with, with Vince Coletta inks. And maybe it's because it's more a more organic um, 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 sword and sorcery backgrounds and there's not as many like buildings or whatever. But sometimes Vince could click sometimes. Yeah. Well, let's just say I, I do think the guy was a hell of an artist. I just think, you know, it was the. Uh, you know the, the the requirement, the time requirements that did it, uh, and turned him into a villain in his own way. Uh, and I think he, I think his, you know, the, his reputation of being cantankerous. I think a lot of that comes from having to be defensive about what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I I I can feel for the guy, but you know, I I just wish they hadn't done that. Uh, I you know my favorite Kirby. Uh, or, or those Thor issues you're talking about are among my favorite Kirby ones. Uh, I also, you know, I point to the uh, the FF when uh, when we, we, you know, when they had the Galactus, uh, in the initial, the original Galactus mm-hmm. trilogy. You know, moving forward from there, I mean, the Kirby artwork in, in 
BFF at that point, he had kind of hit his stride. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just going forward for whatever the next 50 issues or so, it's just for the most part gorgeous. Yeah, when they when they when they they made the business decision to shrink the um to cut the sheets in half, so he suddenly had a smaller sheet to work with. And he started doing those four panels versus the six panels because he the way he drew, you know, he, he was like this is too cramped. He he went to four panels, and those really opened up, right? And, and uh, did a lot of great a lot of great work on the FF after that Galactus story and and Joseph. It was definitely there, definitely there to 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 make it sing. Yeah, I look at the, you know, the Thor issues you're talking about, you know, when he uh, was when he fought with him and yep. there was, you know, Ego, the living planet and there was Galactus and just some gorgeous artwork. In there. So I, when, when when you invited me on the show, um, I was kind of torn. There. I was tempted to do a um, do a Thor story. And the reason the reason is that um, what I picked up when I reread the uh, Silver Age Thor was that. Stan and Jack were like, okay, we don't have a Superman, but Thor's kind of close. So there's some hilarious, hilarious um, uh, episodes of the Kirk, Lee Kirby Thor. Um, one, one is like a Lois Lane thing where Jane Foster's like, um, she's daydreaming about how she's going to win Thor's affection. And she's like, she gives him a haircut and she's like ironing his cape and stuff like that. Total Lois Lane Superman stuff. And then there's this other great one where um, Thor flies into the two – to um um don blake's office and and he's got this closet full of mannequins of thor so what he does is he would fly into fly into the office and he'd pick up one of the mannequins of thor and chuck it out the window so that (laughs) (laughs) i vaguely remember i'm not joking this happened in marvel continuity so thor would chuck a thor mannequin across to the next building so people would be like which way did thor go he went across the street he did he definitely did not go to don blake's office (laughs) <laughs> just yeah. so just just and again if we look at the parallels like asgard is kind of like the bottled city of candor right so there's there's all these little things that are that are kind of echoes of superman and 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 just um i've been waiting for them to um to reprint the uh, silver age superman and they just if you look on amazon they're now saying that a volume one silver age of superman omnibus is going to get published in in uh, in like December, and I'm like finally because I I've got a soft spot for some of those um that that Kurt Swan era of Superman that was just just batshit crazy stuff. I just I, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to um to get those collected. And again, one of the reasons why I I, I love Thor and I love uh, is because some of that echoes that Silver Age Superman, which was just like what is the craziest concept we can throw against the wall and see if it sticks. And yeah, it's what what I, I I am on board with you to an extent, and and I'm fine with the what's the craziest concept we can do and see if, you know, <laughs> and, and see if it sticks. If it's an isolated issue here and there, mm-hmm. like when when sometimes with this the you know the really early Silver Age DC stuff, I've I've had an issue with saying you know I can read one and really appreciate it for its craziness. But when I start reading, if I try to like binge a bunch of them, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it gets a little tiring after a, a bit for me. Yeah. Uh, but what I really, really appreciate, and, and I'm having a tough time thinking of a good example of it right now, but I'm sure given time I would come up with a few, is when they come up with it, it's like, let's come up with the most batshit crazy idea we possibly can and find a way to make it actually work. <laughs> yeah. 
I think I think you know I'm just trying to think. I think maybe Jim Starlin's work would kind of fit that mm-hmm. mold. Yeah, because he someone... came up with some really crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but he but when you read you know when you read them you just start becoming glued to the page. Yeah, no, I hear you. And some some of Grant Morrison stuff, like sometimes that'll hit or hit or miss where he'll take it upon himself to see, can I can I make this totally crazy premise plausible in a comic book? Can I, you know, can can I make it so that the horse doesn't buck the rider off of it? And sometimes he succeeds, sometimes he fails. Um, but I think that's part of the kind of the thrill, the thrill of of of, uh, of comics is you can do stuff like that and and see where it goes. So I'm hoping to see a little bit of that in Jupiter. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, and so, this, so this cap issue, um, again, that got me in. That that really sparked a love of comics. And then as time went by, I, I began to like. Um, I, I continued to 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 pick up cap and 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 then I would when I had money, I'd work my way backward and so forth. And this is again before there were trade paperbacks and omnibuses and so forth. And just I think one of my messages I think to the people um, listening to bins is if you haven't checked it out check out all of 70s cap all of 70s cap whether whether it's it's the gene colon or the sal bushima and or the kirby era or the the second sal bushima um all of 70s cap i think is super underappreciated and there's there's great you know he he runs into the punisher there's the secret empire there's all kinds of great stuff and you know and, and i and i in my mind i say 70s cap runs all the way up until the Grunewald era. So you can throw in the the Roger Stern, John Byrne stuff and so forth and the Mike Zeck stuff. But I think I think 70s cap is it's a treasure trove of stuff to find. So those who haven't come across them, those who haven't dipped their toe in, check out any 1970s cap. I think it's great. Yeah, I agree. And and I would say for me the highlight of that is probably the Steve Englehart stuff. Mm-hmm. But but there's you know a tremendous amount of great stuff. So it's not limited to that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So why don't we rate this book? All right. Well, I am completely biased, so I'm completely biased. So I'm going to give the cover an A, and then I'm going to give the um, I'm going to give the the book itself a, a B plus. Your your uh, your B plus is the overall uh, B, book. Yeah. The yeah the oh sorry. So I'm going to give uh, so I'm going to give it an A minus. My my overall score is an A minus. A for the cover. B plus for the for the for the story and this and the B plus for the story is just the um the the wackiness of um yeah there's this maintenance conduit that just happens to have a flamethrower attached to the wall yeah so yeah. I got I got I got to take off a few points there where where Jack's Jack's kind of bending reality for a plot point but overall I give it an E minus yeah on the wall where there would maybe normally be like a defibrillator or something we're gonna have <laughs> yeah. a flamethrower yeah uh, even though it's shield you know come on guys. So uh, I am I'm I, I almost feel like I'm rethinking it as we're doing it because I really enjoyed doing the re, you know your your recap of it and just going through the story again. Uh, I think the cover is really solid. Uh, again, I, I think the the line work could have been a little little bit lighter, a little bit thinner, uh, but it's you know I, I really like the layout of it. I, I think it's you know. It, it's very eye-catching, and, and I, I could see why, you know, a, a young kid would would be all over it, uh, as well as myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say just a solid B plus on the cover. I think it's really good. I just think it could be just slightly better. Uh, the interior art, I suspect that I would be higher on the pencils than the finished product. Uh, I really 
like it, but I th- I think this, you know, I, I get the feeling for, with the pencils, this is an A book. With the inks, it's a B book. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Uh, and the story is, it's not quite as out there as, as a lot of Kirby's stuff. It's a little bit more grounded. It's a little bit more easy, easily read uh, and, and understood by, you know, by your by your average person. I don't think you need to be, you know, familiar with all these strange concepts that Kirby would come up with in order to read this issue. So uh, I'm going to say a B plus on the uh, on the story and I'm going to give the book overall a, a B plus. Sweet, sweet. So thank you for coming on, Jason. I really uh, this was fun. Definitely, definitely. I look forward to uh, um, uh, coming on again at some point, and uh, next time maybe I can st- I can uh, record with Bill, and uh, and 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 uh, yeah, I definitely had a great time. Thank you so much for uh, for hosting me, Paul. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my my absolute pleasure, and we will definitely have you back on again, and uh, I'll, I'll 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 kidnap Bill and make him come on. <laughs> so. Thank you again. And, uh, you know, we'll just as a, as a final tour for everybody listening, I will be putting links to uh, to the, the offering for Jupiter on, on the Facebook page. So look for it there if you can't find it on your own. Uh, but in the meanwhile, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. What's up? Dr. Bill in the house.